What's up, everybody? This week's episode is brought to you by Green Roads. Green Roads is a CBD company that offers industry-leading products such as oils, chewables, capsules, and creams. They also offer this really cool seven-day bundle pack. If you're an on-the-go person, you're always busy AF, you don't have time to measure out your dosage, then this pack is for you. It's seven one-milliliter pre-filled droppers that contain 23 milligrams of CBD. It's already dosed out for you. There's nothing more convenient than that. Just grab, rip, and drip. To check out these sweet products, you can find the link in our bio on Instagram at the Primal Lifestyle Podcast or visit primaljedi.com forward slash CBD. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter and you can save 10% on your first purchase. Now, before we get into this week's podcast, I just want to address something that I completely fucked up last week and I've been losing sleep over it. When Jay and I started talking about front squats and back squats and I started breaking down, you know, the depth of your squat, I have no idea what I was thinking, but I know this like the back of my hand and I still fucked it up. When you break parallel, when your hips dip below your knees, you're in a more hamstring and glute dominant position. For some reason, my brain wasn't firing properly. And I decided to tell you guys that when you break parallel, you'll be in a more quad dominant position. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know how I fucked it up. I apologize. It was a big mistake. And I'm just going to continue to get better and make sure these mistakes happen less and less and less. My bad. You know, I hope you forgive me. And I hope you guys love this week's podcast. Uh, We got Chef Anjan, Angelo Tadaro. My son won't stop talking, so I'm going to have to re-record this again. Um, Angela, I've been friends with for almost 20 years, maybe even a little longer. Um, he is one of the smartest dudes I know. He has an extensive background in the uh, health and fitness industry. He's uh, worked with many, many different types of athletes and regular folk as well. Um, I don't want to get too much into it. I'd rather let him tell you his story. So ladies and gentlemen, Chef Ange. How's everybody doing? Um, I'll probably start in the beginning and just like tell my story like chronologically. So um, I went to the University of Connecticut and at the time I was a molecular cellular biology major. I was pre-med. I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was really... um, enamored like with the human body and just how it operated and I wanted to like learn a little bit more about it and I thought like oh you know smart people who like the body they go into medicine you know that's what I wanted to do so I shouted some doctors and um, I wasn't entirely thrilled like with what I saw and like what they were doing you know it was great what they were doing but I didn't want to spend like the next 10 years of of my education and just a lot of time and effort and, and a lot of sacrifice doing something I didn't have my whole heart into and I happened to be at the number one kinesiology undergrad program in the country. Uh, so I looked a little bit more into it and uh, switched my major over to uh, the kinesiology with uh, a emphasis in strength and conditioning. So while I was there, I was able to intern with the strength and conditioning department um, for two years. And over those four semesters, I touched almost every single Division One team they had. So I worked with the basketball team, the men's basketball team, the women's basketball team. They have nationally ranked soccer programs and men's and women's that we worked with. 
Um, I worked with the football team, the track team, the hockey team, and just saw a little bit of everything as to, you know, how division one strength and conditioning athletics is done. Um, so when I graduated, I had this deep desire to continue working with pro athletes. Uh, so I sent my resume to every professional major sports team of like the, the major four. So basketball, baseball, hockey, and football. Um, and once I sent out all those resumes, I sat back and I watched some, uh, some emails come in, some phone calls come in and some letters get returned. Um, ultimately I ended up in San Diego with the San Diego Padres and, uh, worked for, uh, two seasons with the San Diego Padres as a minor league strength and conditioning coach. Um, after that, the stress of traveling with a minor league baseball team. Uh, was a little bit too much, and I kind of wanted to like put my roots someplace. So I got a job at a high-performance tennis school uh, here in New Jersey, where I was closer to home, closer to friends. Um, and I worked with junior tennis players, uh, some nationally ranked, um, along with some that were ranked in like the WTA. We worked with uh, Christina McHale. Uh, she broke the top 100, and she still is in the top 100 um, in the world uh, in women's tennis. Um, and then after that... Um, I was working, well, I was doing a, a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu myself, and uh, I still had this desire to work with um, athletes outside of, like, the tennis world. So uh, I found a group of mixed martial arts fighters um, at a gym that I used to train out of, and these were professional MMA fighters that I used to take my time, and I used to do their training completely pro bono. Um, and it was just really enjoyable to train, like, an athlete that I could really connect with on a... Um, like with the tennis players, I was never a tennis player. I never really played tennis at a high level, but I enjoyed jujitsu, I enjoyed martial arts. And uh, to train the athletes of the sport that I was really passionate about, that was really great. Um, and, you know, Blake even knows, like at the time, I was training a female MMA fighter um, who I thought was just a really, really well-rounded athlete, and I thought she was really going to go someplace. And that, that female MMA fighter is Amanda Nunez. Go! Yeah, two... Two division champion and now probably the greatest female MMA fighter in the history of MMA. Yeah, um, yeah. And I used to pick her up at the airport, buy her lunch, and when when she was still trying to make it. So it was, it was really good being you know a part of that process. You know, so early on with her. Um, all along the while, you know, I've worked with uh, general population clientele because you know outside of working on a professional sports team or uh, working in like a collegiate setting, um, you know the 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 private industry who trains athletes or at least put athletes in the front seat, you know, their dirty little secret is they make money training uh, general population clientele because there just aren't enough athletes to keep the keep the lights on. So everybody, uh, because there's a lot more general population clientele than there are athletes out there who are looking for training. Um, and I can tell you, you know, from a business standpoint that um, there's a lot of stability in training general population clientele as in athletes at any level, whether it's youth or high school, or the collegiate sector, there's a lot of turnover. You know, they're not going to play that sport forever. They're not going to be in that spot forever. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're doing this as part of like a business, um, you have to figure out, you know, how do you create stability in your income and, and stability in the business that you're a part of? And that's where general population clientele come in. Um, and I find right now I work mainly with general population clientele. Uh, and I find it extremely rewarding as when, you know, I'm working with athletes, there's only 
so much that you can give them. They're so close to where they are and you're trying to give them this this small edge that once they mm-hmm. stop chasing it, they'll lose that edge. They're not going to be this high-performing athlete for their life. Yeah. Uh, but when you work with general population clientele and just people who just want to live a healthy life, they want to be strong, uh, they want to make it to old age, they want to you know, um, not have to rely on uh, other people, they want to keep a good quality of life for a really, really long time. Um, you know, That's where I feel like it can add... Uh, just a lot of value to the world and a lot of value to people's lives. So, you know, that's kind of like my, uh, like a snapshot of my career from the beginning to like where I'm at right now. And uh, right now, I'm do- not only am I doing fitness training, I'm also doing nutrition coaching because I like to take a very holistic approach to everything. You know, we can't do everything with just exercise. You know, it has to be matched with sound nutrition. It has to be matched with other lifestyle habits like sleep. Um, and when these things all come together, that's when someone can really, you know, improve their fitness, improve their lifestyle. Uh, and really get good stuff going. You know, it's not just about eating good food. It's not just about doing, you know, hard workouts. It's about doing everything all together and for it to like work together. And and that's like the, that's the secret sauce. That's the recipe that'll get you far in this game. That's a lot, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in regards to you, you training athletes and uh, general population, what are major differences you see as far as, I mean, you just elaborated on a whole bunch of them, but as far as uh, going to somebody with, we'll start with the fitness, with the fitness routine, with the fitness regimen. Uh, how do you, how do you treat somebody who's just coming off the couch and looking to get into fitness compared to somebody who, like you said, is, is pretty much there already? That's a really good question. You know, um, I'd like to take a very individualized approach to, to training and, you know, I meet people with where they're at, you know, um, so like if it's someone who's just coming off the couch, right now they just have to move. Any movement's gonna be good movement. Um, and they have to figure out a way to keep showing up. You know, most people fail with their fitness because they just don't find anything that just keeps them engaged and keeps them showing up. You know, it doesn't have to be the best workout, it doesn't have to be the most optimal exercises in the most optimal order or the best repetition schemes. They just gotta move and do a little bit more. Um, and I can tell you, you know, I am a fitness professional. Um, I'd like to see somebody who is active and just moves around throughout the day before they even exercise. So if I had to choose someone who would be sedentary and not exercise or to be sedentary and to exercise, I think it's probably better that they're active and not exercising because exercise is really only a small small part of it. But let's say they already do have a solid activity base and they're already going – you know, um, when people are getting off the couch and once they figure out like, Hey, I can, I can move and I can use my body. Uh, generally we like to start with resistant training. I think strength and going through these, um, these strength movements that we kind of have an idea of like what they're supposed to look like. We have an idea of like what our, her hinging or squatting or lunging is supposed to look like. So it's not just up for interpretation. You know, there's going to be a lot of, um, there's going to be a lot of sway as to like who does what and how they do it. And there's going to be that individual interpretation of it. But for the most part, we know what a squat looks like. We know what pushing looks like. We know what pulling looks like. And I think resistance training adds a lot of bang for your buck um, in other activities also. So once somebody has this solid uh, layer of like strength, then they're able to do other things like actually get a lot more out of their cardio, get more out of their interval training. But I think step one is really get strong. And that can be done in as little like 30 to 45 minutes. Um, actually, so let me go back to like the athlete stuff. So when I'm working with athletes, a lot of them already have a solid movement foundation, at least within their sport. 
So they know how to do the stuff in their sport really well. A receiver knows how to run routes. They know how to catch. A hockey player knows how to ice skate. knows how to take a slap shot. Um, but that doesn't say a lot for the stuff that they do in the gym. So those same movement patterns that I was talking about, the squatting, the hinging, the lunging, the pushing, the pulling, um, we're going to start there too. You got to show me that you can do it and you got to show me that you can do it well. And then we'll go, we'll go from there. Um, athletes also are on a timeline. They either have a season that they're preparing for. They have some type of competitive event that they're training for. So at some point they got, something's got to point towards there as opposed to us just kind of just moving forward with no like end goal. Um, not no end goal, but like no like definitive point where something's got to produce something, right? So like with a general population clientele, if you're just going to work your nine to five job Monday to Friday, you know, weekends off, uh, year after year, you know, watching the kids grow. Um, there's no point at which you need to be, you know, in prime time shape. You just need to be a little better than you were the day before, right? Mm. So, so like my approach with athletes is, you know, get them ready to what they need to do. And a lot of that starts with just like working on really general stuff. Um, a lot of the athletes I've worked with at the higher levels too, they're pretty banged up. So it's kind of counterproductive for me to start slamming them with a lot mm. of heavy, intense stuff. Um, as opposed to like getting them ready to do that stuff and do it in really, really small amounts because their strength training is always a backseat to whatever they're doing on their, on, on the field or in their practices. Um, general population clientele, on the other hand, they don't have a competition that they're getting for. The main show is what they're doing in the gym. So they need to work their whole day, their whole night, you know, get a good night's sleep, have proper nutrition, um, to prepare for the training session because the training session is the main show. That's where they're going to get, um, you know, that's where they're going to get their gold. Right. So there's not a lot from, you know, like an exercise selection standpoint, but I think, um, with like purpose and intent, that's where it changes like from general population to, to professional athletes. A lot of general population people, they, they also look at the things that a professional athletes are doing and say like, Oh, I should be doing that because that's really good. Right. Um, they're not professional athletes. They shouldn't be doing that. And they haven't done the prerequisite work that that'll get them there. Yeah. So although the intention, although the intention is good and they want to improve their fitness, they want to improve their health and they want to do it with the most like cutting edge, at least the, the most apparent cutting edge stuff out there. They really just need to lay a solid foundation that they can build everything off of. Cool. Yeah, man. Now I got a question. Do you ever get, um, athletes in particular, say like football players that are just absolutely terrible movement guys for, um, Olympic lifts or anything like that, or basically one athlete can do just about everything. Well, I'd say most of them move like shit mm -hmm. only because not only because, but like a large contributing factor is like they're pushed through the system in mm -hmm. high, in high school. Like, let's say you were a high performing athlete in high school. They want you to be a high performing athlete in the gym and there. And unfortunately the support systems that you see at high school and in a lot of colleges aren't the greatest. You got mm -hmm. one coach, you got one coach in there for 50 athletes, everybody's super pumped up and they're yelling and they're just trying to get more weight on the bar mm -hmm. and the more weight that they can get on the bar, the worse they get off technique and that mm -hmm. technique gets practiced over and over and over again. Gotcha. Uh, so a lot of times we're just cleaning up that poor movement in mm -hmm. order for them to move forward. Um, a lot of them have to take their ego in the backseat, like, you know, um, one of the things that I've done when I worked for a private company is we worked um, with athletes preparing for the NFL Combine and the college pro days. So mm -hmm. I would get high-performing college athletes, summer NFL players right now. And, uh, you know, these guys are used to, you know, cleaning and squatting hundreds of pounds. And now all of a sudden we're goblet squatting 50, 60 pounds. I'm telling them, you know, how to do it. And they're, and they're shaking. 
Yeah. Their glutes and their hamstrings feel like they're going to explode and they're just holding a 50 pound dumbbell as opposed to the 300 pound dumbbell doing the shitty squat that they've done, you know, time after time again for year after year. So they can go up so they can go up on the strength board. Yeah. So they're basically just muscling through the movement rather than perfecting the movement and doing it correctly. One thing that athletes are is they're incredible compensators. If you give them a task to do, they'll figure out a way to do it. And if you put mm. 300 pounds on the bar, they'll figure out a way to go down and go up. It may not look pretty, but they'll figure it out. Okay. And especially once, especially once you get inside of an environment where their teammates are, where the music is blaring, the mm. team, the teammates are around them screaming and chanting and telling them to go for more. You know that that's when you'll see like a lot of bad stuff happen. Mm. So would you prefer, I guess, general pop people who say aren't. Uh, haven't been squatting for a long time there's kind of like a blank slate where you can just kind of build them from ground up it depends on the person and what they're they're ready willing and able to do you know whether they're a professional athlete who has a lot of experience or a general population person who just has no experience with exercise whatsoever like right now for instance i just started with a with a new client's his third workout he hasn't worked out in 12 years Um, in his third workout, he is doing great because he's coming in with this big open mind of you're the professional. You tell me what to do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you information, but I'm going to let you call the shots and I'm really going to put it in your hands and I'm going to focus and I'm going to try. I'm not going to come in with any preconceived notion about like what we should be doing or how Mm -hmm. we should be doing it. Um, and I'm going to be open-minded to it. And, you know, he's a real pleasure to work with. And there's a lot of athletes that I've worked with in the past that have also fallen into those categories. And then there's also general population clientele and athletes who just have an idea of just like the way things should be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have an idea of what they've done and maybe like, let's call it like delusions of grandeur, like to what they really are and where they really sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are ones that are a little bit more challenging to work with, you know, because the first thing I need to do is I need to, they need to be ready, willing, and able to change. Like you can't do anything with someone if the if the you know if the doors are closed. Yeah, yeah. So so I can't say that you know just because an athlete's had you know more experience doing the, the do you know more experience with time in the gym and doing exercise that they're going to be you know um, easier or harder to work with. Gotcha. As far as as far as somebody coming from so. Me, you, and Blake will, will pretty much uh, agree on a holistic approach to nutrition, especially for a hard-acting or high-achieving athlete. But what what are some steps you would take with somebody who's coming in, again, kind of off the couch, who maybe has a diet that's all sorts of whack, you know, standard American diet and then some, whether it's fast food or whether it's just a whole bunch of starchy white carbs and vegetable oils and stuff like that. What are the first steps you take in getting someone's nutrition correct to go along with their, their uh, training regimen? That's a great question, Jay. Um, and, and I'm going to go to the same thing that like I said about the exercise. Like, it really depends upon the person. It has to be like what they're ready, willing, and able to do because you know the, the one suggestion might be the best suggestion for someone to start off with and you give that same suggestion to somebody else and it could be like the worst place for them to start off with because the most important thing with nutrition is consistency and consistency over time. You know, whatever changes that we're going to make are going to be sustainable changes and they have to feel like lifelong sustainable changes like from the beginning. They can't feel like this temporary thing, like this jail that they're put into and they're like they're, they can't wait until they get out. That's just a recipe for success. It might produce like some short term results and short term could mean weeks. The short term could be months and short term could even be years. But I want to take I want to make sure that there's as much going forward and, and there's as little going back. And, and that means, you know, people being um 
people kind of understanding like what changes need to be made and in the order they need to be made. So let's say like someone is like completely open-minded, some stuff that I like to work on early on or things that are going to work with that are going to be um, outside of like the details of like the what they're going to eat. It's more going to be like how they're going to eat. I think people don't eat mindfully. I think people don't eat because they're hungry. You know, people eat because it's time to eat. They eat because they're angry. They eat because they're sad. They eat because they're mad. They eat because they're happy. They eat for, for every other reason other than the one reason that you should eat because you're hungry, right? Mm. People do also don't eat mindfully. They don't pay attention to what they're doing. They're in between tasks. They're shoving food in their mouth. They're eating way too fast, and they're overeating very, very often. And if we don't eat mindfully and we don't eat slow enough and we don't eat because we're hungry – and we eat for all those wrong reasons, that's when you see a lot of bad stuff. That's when people eat a lot of uh, like like hyperpalatable foods, like the stuff that you talked about, like the processed foods, stuff that has a lot of sugar in it, a lot of salt, a lot of fat. Um, it's very, very exciting to eat. It's easy to eat that food fast. It's really, really hard to eat slow. Nobody eats Doritos slowly. <laughs> Speaking of Doritos, yeah. I, they have a science, scientists that have come up with the perfect type of flavor to always make you think you're hungry when you eat Doritos. Well, they're still they're still working on those things. The two the, I heard this someplace, and I don't know how much truth there is behind it. The two most engineered processed foods are uh, nacho cheese Doritos and uh, uh, flaming hot Cheetos. Really? They are, yeah, that they are constantly working on these things to make them more pleasurable and more exciting. Um, and unfortunately, you know that that's not matched on the nutrition side. Um, so going back to your original question, when people are saying, you know, what, what should I be eating and how should I be eating? Well, one, they should be eating slowly. They should be eating mindfully. Um, in general, people need to eat more protein. They need to eat more plant matter and they need to avoid more processed foods. Um, you know, that, that's a long process to get there. Uh, and you have to kind of figure out like, is it an information gap? Do people not know, even know like what protein is? Um, is it an information gap as far as like preparation, which I feel is just a huge, huge limiting factor for a lot of people is that people just generally just don't know how to cook. They don't know how to prepare food. And if you take vegetables that are that, that they don't know how to prepare, they'll make them. They won't taste good and then mm -hmm. they won't eat them. And then they'll go right back to the easiest thing, something that's in a box, something that's in a bag, something they could just pop in the microwave or they could just spin through the drive through and grab that food. You know, right. uh, yeah, as human beings, we're looking for cheap, easy and fast calories. You know, that those are the things that that have been evolutionary, uh, evolutionarily designed into our brain to make sure that that we survive. And we're still running around with caveman genes in a world that we're not supposed to be in. And that's a, one of the issues that, you know, we see, you know, obesity at an extremely high rate. Um, chronic disease is right now the number one killer in the world. So. And a lot of this stuff is due to just us being we're, we're cavemen in the wrong environment. So if we could be a little bit more mindful about our environment, we can go back to eating foods that that were here 300 years ago, three, four, five hundred years ago. There was protein and there was vegetables, right? There wasn't mm -hmm. flaming. There wasn't flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Let let thy food be your medicine, and your medicine be your food. Yeah, yeah. Socrates, something like that. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of wise wisdom into all those sayings. In fact, I was talking with a client yeah. this morning, and um, they, they said, you know, the job of the physician, this was, an again, I think this was Aristotle said it. It said, um, let, let the doctor keep the patient comfortable as the body heals itself. Like, so the job of a doctor back in the day was just to make sure that a person was comfortable, and they let the body do the job just by putting yeah. good stuff into it. So yeah, that makes sense. You know, and again, like uh, just kind of wrapping up your original question, more people need to 
drink more water, eat more protein, and they need to eat more plant, plant-based foods and avoid the processed stuff. And I think it's really important when they prepare it themselves and they're not outsourcing it for two uh, commercial sources. Because when when there's commercial sources, uh, profit is in the front seat, and people mm-hmm. do what tend to do whatever it takes to cut corners, to cut costs at the expense of you know the nutrition and the quality of the food. Are there supplements that you recommend, or in some cases don't recommend? I guess for people, you know, guys are looking for, uh, you know, answers in a pill that quick fix. So certain guys that I train, I might recommend uh, like a creatine monohydrate or a glutamine supplement. Are there supplements that you'll use universally for your athletes or general population looking for training? Uh, Because like like I said, for me, a lot of people are coming looking for that quick fix. And if they're not, they're still looking to what can make my workouts better, what could help me achieve my goals quicker, uh, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I I don't really think there is a supplement that that gets a quick fix. I think supplements are exactly like what the name says. They're a supplementation to like that solid foundation of like eating whole food based diet. Um, eating in inadequate amounts um, that, that that match your body composition goals. Uh, you know, drinking plenty of water, getting plenty of sleep. Um, once you've laid that those foundations, that you're exercising, you're active, you're sleeping enough, um, you're eating the right things in the right amounts, and you've, you've been doing it for long enough that it makes a difference. I think there are some supplements that can be helpful. Um, you know, uh, one that you just mentioned was creatine monohydrate. So not only from performance end, um, but creatine has been shown to, uh, be great for cognitive health, especially like for the elderly. So like we thought creatine is like the something that like the meathead should be taking. So like you can squat, you know, get a crank out a couple more reps. Um, but at the same time, it's helping the elderly, uh, be more cognitively sharp. And, uh, that's been shown in study after study. So that's just one supplement that I think that just a, a really well-rounded supplement. And if you're doing strength training, it just strengthens the reasons like why you should be taking it. Um, you know, w- with, with supplementation, I go back to like a lot of the research and most of the research is, is swayed in both directions for almost every supplement, but I think there's more evidence in favor of certain ones. Um, and I think a couple of those are one, like taking omega threes, particularly from fish oil. Um, so your EPA and your DHA and not, not omega threes from like flaxseed oil, um, or plant-based sources, but omega threes that come from those, um, those animal based sources. What do you think about krill oil? Well, krill oil is, is one of those, um, it's EPA and DHA and, and, mm-hmm. and not from a, a plant-based source. Like you'll see omega threes, like on like flaxseed and hemp seed and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that's a different version of omega three that your body needs to convert into those same things, those EPA and DHA. So your body can make them useful and only a small percentage ends up getting converted. So you're better off getting those omega threes from things like fish oil. But again, if you're already eating those things in the diet, I don't think they need to be supplemented. So like, let's say you're eating, um, oily fish, like salmon, sardines, uh, herring, mackerel, and you're eating that like once or twice a week, I think you might be able to forego, um, taking those omega three supplements. But if all those things, uh, don't seem like great options for you as far as like food sources, then I think someone could benefit from omega threes. Um, I think there are two minerals. Um, we generally just don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. And because we don't eat enough of those fruits and vegetables where there's two major minerals, zinc and magnesium, that I just don't think that that we get enough. And I think most general population would benefit from taking zinc and magnesium for a, for a whole host of reasons. Um, outside of those, I think it's important to supplement in things that um, you have a family history in. So we all have family history of, of illness and disease, and we need to kind of look at back at our ancestors and go, you know, what did these people suffer from? What did they die of? So, you know, maybe if you had poor vision, 
declines in your family, maybe you take some like vision-based supplements, right? Maybe if you have a history of certain cancers in your family, you might be a little bit heavier on some of the antioxidants. Um, you know, maybe if you've had joint health issues before in the past and you've had a lot of joint degradation in your family and you've seen a lot of people get hip and knee replacements later in life, even with being having pretty low level stuff, um, maybe they need to supplement with, you know, joint related stuff. Um, you know, maybe you're someone who just doesn't agree with dairy very well. I deal with like a lot of, I deal with a lot of women in their forties, fifties and sixties and bone density is a really important thing for them. Um, some of them eat dairy regularly and that's great. And they probably meet their calcium requirements. Um, some of them don't for a lot of different reasons. And the ones who don't eat dairy, I think, you know, supplementing with vitamin D and, and calcium would be a smart, would be a smart bet. So that goes back to like a lot of the things that we talked about before, like that individualization. You have to kind of figure out like, who is it that I'm talking to? What do they really need? And mm. I'll find that out just by asking questions. Would, yeah. strength, would strength training help uh, these females with their bone density at all or no? 100%. There, so there's three important things that need to happen in order for uh, bone density to be uh, maximized or improved. Um, and that's one, there needs to be some type of mechanical stress on the bone. And that's going to come through loading through resistance training um, and all through force absorption through jumping. So I do a lot of uh, depth jumps. I do a lot of jump rope. We do a lot of box jumps and George's jumping generally on the ground. That absorbing that force and that, that banging of their bones on the ground and having mm -hmm. them to absorb their body weight um, and lifting weights, deadlifting, squatting, bench pressing, pulling. It places this mechanical stress on the bone. The bone has to remodel. But the bone needs stuff to remodel. Um, mm -hmm. So – that's where calcium comes in. Uh, calcium is a major component of most bones, and it's, it's a necessary building block for that bone to get remodeled. Um, vitamin D also seems to be a really, really important uh, component of that, that bone remodeling triad, and uh, that can either be supplemented or even better uh, can be made by the human body just by getting enough sunlight. You know, there's a lot of, you asked about supplementation before. And one thing that, um, one supplement that I used to recommend to a lot of people that I'm, I'm backing off on how strongly I recommend it is the vitamin D. Um, research right now is very mixed on like whether vitamin D actually raises vitamin D levels. We know that mm. you stick a person in the sun for 20, 30 minutes, mm -hmm. you'll get, you'll, you'll get a really good vitamin D dosage. And if that can done regularly, that's great. Um, if they can't get into the sun, vitamin D supplementation can be helpful, um, but if the sun's on the table, they probably don't need vitamin D supplementation. They just need to find time um, or make time to get out in the sun. Now, what about um, vitamin K2? So I eat a lot of fermented foods and uh, I, get, I get a lot from that. But for uh, purposes of increasing bone density, uh, having that K2 to be able to transport the calcium, is that something else you might recommend? Yeah, but not so much for bone health. You know, I, I look at cal I look at K2 as a really important supplement for men, uh, particularly ones who have a history of like calcification of like their valves. Um, they might deal with some type of like gout issue, or they just may have had like older older males in their family have calcification of like valves in their heart. And that's just the body just taking calcium. It doesn't have any place for it. It's floating around. Um, it's not sticking it back in the bone. So it has to figure out what to do someplace. So it starts making these calcium deposits inside joints, inside arterial walls, inside the heart, um, wherever it can collect. And I think that's where K2 probably is a little bit more important. So uh, I do take K2 myself because only because my dad had a, had a valve replacement um, and my grandfather also had a valve replacement. So uh, chances are, you know, I'll probably be a high calcifier. 
Um, so I'm taking that K2 now. So hopefully, you know, when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, um, you know, maybe, maybe the, I could lessen that calcification. And I don't say I'm going to cure myself, um, mm-hmm. but I'm doing what I can now a couple of decades in advance and see, you know, you know, what was it worth it? Right. So, so that's where I kind of like CK2. Um, and, that, and that's how I use it more than, than recommending it to like women for, for like bone remodeling. So I don't want to harp too much on the, on the supplements. You know, I want to talk about a bunch of other things, but um, I have one more uh, question about supplements, uh, methylcobalamin or vitamin B12. I have a friend who needs to get uh, injections because he doesn't have the enzymes that's going to absorb a pill form. So he gets, uh, I don't know if it's an IV, it's probably an IV. So it's some kind of uh, intravenous B12 that he gets. Now, with him, I always tell him to ask his doctor if he could, if he would be able to take a sublingual um, methylcobalamin, something that that he could absorb through his mouth because he hates getting shots. Is that one and the same? Are you able to do that if you don't have the digestive enzymes? It's going to break down the supplement in a pill form. That that I'm not that I'm not too sure. You know, the only thing I can comment on B12 is that you know uh, B12 is used for for a lot of stuff, especially for energy metabolism. Um, so it's definitely something that's important. And if it is supplemented, you, you know, you nailed it. You, you talked about it. That's methylcobalamin and not like B12 because other people the the cheaper supplements will have that cyanocobalamin in it. Yeah. Um, and it's just cheaper. People see B12 and they just buy it and they just it's less biologically active. So if you are going to take a B12. Um, you know, the methylcobalamin is definitely the way to go. I couldn't say either way, like if, whether, you know, um, like an IV cocktail of B12, um, I've even seen, uh, B12 be delivered in vaping. So now they, they do like vitamin vaping and I've wow. seen, I've, se- I've seen that before. Again, I don't, I don't know how well it gets into the system, yeah. um, but, but I've, I've seen it. And again, I don't know where the efficacy is on like how it's getting in. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not too sure. I can't comment on whether, you know, intravenous or, or sublingual um, would have a difference as far as like absorption. That's fair. I read, uh, <clears throat> I read an article the other day saying that um, a lot of vitamin C supplements are basically as good as nothing. That most of the time that the, by the time the vitamin C gets to your body, it's already dead. Like um, ascorbic acid? Yeah. And like, uh, when people take, like, like when people take those emergency things as well, that yeah. most of that pack is are everything in there is already dead. It's just, it's not really doing anything for you. Um, I can't say that it's not totally active and, and I can, one of the interesting studies I've read, and again, I don't have these like right in front of me. This is some stuff I've read like years ago, um, was that, you know, vitamin C can have like a great, like immune response mm-hmm. if the person is like physically active. So like, you know, just another good reason, like, like to exert, like to exercise is that like, if you do get sick and you do have a high dose of vitamin C, like you'll have like a better, like immune response. Like if you have already been exercising, like after you're getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so like you, you hit on Jay's said ascorbic acid, one of like the more biologically available forms is something called ester C. So if someone did want to supplement vitamin C, I would, I would, lean them towards taking an ester C as opposed to like an ascorbic acid that you might get out of like, like cheaper supplements. I can't comment on like what's in something like an emergency or like a lot of these, like, you know, um, getting sick, you know, mix this in and taste like orange mm-hmm. and drink it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not I think sure. that's ascorbic acid and like sucralose or something. I don't think there's much to that. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it differs based upon like different, different supplements, but like the, the, you, you pay for what you get. 
Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times when I'm when I'm recommending certain supplements to people who are ready and and are looking to supplement, you know, a solid foundation, I point them towards stuff and they go, wow, it's a little pricey. It's it's a little bit more expensive than the stuff I see like in the pharmacy and the supermarket. And I can tell you, like the pills and the supplements you'll see in the pharmacy and the supermarket are very low level. And when they do a lot of the a lot of the research on them and they actually open those pills up and a third party company checks and they see what's in it, um, a lot of times it's not the amounts that are on the label. There's a lot mm-hmm. of extra stuff in it. And they use the cheapest available form just to say that, you know, that, that it's in there. So that, I, I a think, lot of these companies just roll the dice because the FDA is not really checking anything right away. They have a little bit of time. It's not that they're not really checking. I don't think that, that they're going through like the microscope. Like if something says 200 milligrams in it, they're, they're allowed to be off by like a certain, you know, percentage. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll work that percentage to, to, to their best favor. Yeah. So they can spread their product out as much as possible. Yeah. Again, you know. Gotcha. When, when, when profits in the front seat, and you know, I think consumers need to be, uh, they need to be smart and they need to be, you know, good detectives. They need to flip over labels. You can't look at just the front of the label on, on supplements or even for food for that matter. Um, you can't just look at them and just say like, oh, I, I know what's in here. You really, really don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when I was working with high level athletes, especially ones who, you know, were in the, in the NFL and Major League Baseball, um, there's a lot of money on the line. And when there's a lot of money in the line, you got to be really cautious about what you're putting on your body. And I would never recommend anything to them that wasn't, you know, certified by a third-party company like NSF, um, mm-hmm. because you never want to give them something thinking that there's something in it and there's really something else in it. Yeah. So, you know, those people need to be overly cautious. But you know, even if you don't have a 15 million dollar contract to play in the NFL, you still got to be cautious of what goes in your body. For sure. Do you think a lot of people? don't really understand how to read a nutrition label or labels that are on bottles. Cause I feel like I didn't learn that until I was probably in my mid twenties to really understand what's in a food or supplement or whatever it is. I I do agree with that. I think most people have uh, a very poor understanding of, you know, science in general, Mm -hmm. like what, like what is the physical world we live in? What is my body? How does my body work? I think most people just don't understand these concepts. Um, you know, they may have been, you know, lightly introduced in some type of like high school science class. Um, but if they didn't study sciences in college, um, it's really, really difficult for them to kind of like disseminate information. They don't have the right filter to kind of figure out like, you know, what are these chemicals? What are they talking about? How is this supplement or how is this food supposed to make me healthy or help me, you know, you know, improve a certain function in my body? And, um, without that basic background, um, I think it's really, really difficult. So, um, a lot of times what I do as a nutrition coach is I'm filling in information gaps and I need to figure out like, where are those information gaps? What doesn't this person know? Um, and also what are they really willing and able to like understand? Because Mm -hmm. if I start talking and I start spitting a lot of science, but this person doesn't want to absorb that stuff, they just want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wasting, I'm just wasting air and I'm wasting time and I'm possibly turning them off from, from, from my coaching. So I need to be, you know, very cognizant as to like what this person wants to learn, um, and what this person actually can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for, for the most part, people just need to do a good job of just flipping stuff over. There's only so much that you're going to learn from the front of the la- front of the label of a product. You need to flip stuff over and the two things you need to check are like the nutrition facts just to kind of identify like what kind of food is this? Is this a high protein food? Is this a high carbohydrate food? Is this food is high in fat? What type of fat is in it? And then I think people need to be able to like read ingredients. And if you're able to like read ingredients and you're able to identify what the ingredients are, it's generally a a better food, right? Mm -hmm. 
You know, one of the things that I say to a lot of people is if you want to know if a food is ultra processed, read the ingredient list and you should be able to find each of the ingredients someplace else in the supermarket. If you can't find one of those ingredients in the supermarket and you have to go to like a chemical warehouse distributor to find that chemical, <laughs> it's yeah. probably a highly processed food and it's probably best avoided. Yes, yeah, that's really good. Uh, that's a really good way of wording it. I would agree with that. As far as when you came on, Blake called you Chef Ange. Why? So um, a couple years ago, I started to take like really deep interest in cooking. Um, it was just something I just really enjoyed. And I just did it as a hobby very recreationally and just mostly, mostly for fun. Um, but then I noticed that as my cooking skills started to improve, um, I started to have better control over my diet and the things that are, that I ate. I was eating out less. I was, you know, I was taking food to work. Um, I was preparing a lot of stuff at home. We were just generally eating out less, uh, you know, me and my wife. And, and I was like, wow, I was like, you know, by, by me just enjoying cooking and just practicing the skills of cooking, I've now taken a lot of control and I can take whole foods and turn them into like a delicious meal that, that we can actually like enjoy and that it has a high nutritional value. And at the same time, I made it with my hands. So it has a, has a little bit of pride behind it. Um, so I started an Instagram account and a YouTube channel with, under the name of Chef Ange. Um, and I like to spread information and ideas about cooking and about meals um, and how people should cook and practicing the skill of cooking. Um, I think people generally need less recipes, but they need to learn more cooking skills. And that's really um, what the Chef Ange YouTube channel is about and uh, what I'm trying to put forth in like the, Inst uh, the Instagram account is to teach people how to cook delicious meals from whole food ingredients um, and really focusing in on the skills. I think a lot of like the 30 second recipe videos on Instagram and like a lot of the, the, the stuff that's sped up, um, I think it misses a lot of the skills. You know, you don't take a tomato, throw it in the air, snap your fingers and then it's chopped. <laughs> and then, but, but then people sit there with the tomato, they struggle because they're using the wrong knife, their hands are in the wrong position, they're using a, they're using a, a, a dull knife on a, crappy cut, on a crappy cutting board that's moving and then they go, cooking sucks. I don't yeah. like cooking or they even say worse where they label themselves and they say, I'm not a good cook. I can't cook. And then all of a sudden it excuses them from all cooking forever mm -hmm. for the whole life. And now they're taking the most important and most powerful thing, the preparation of food and putting in commercial food choices and they're putting it in their hands. And that's just not a safe thing to do. So, you know, my message with Chef Ange is kind of very in line with, you know, my coaching, my fitness coaching and my health coaching is that, you know, you're in the driver's seat, you know, it's your life and you need to take ownership over it. And if there's things that you need to learn how to do, learn them. And one of the great things about cooking or a great thing about food is that you eat every day, you eat every day, you eat multiple times a day. There's plenty of opportunities to do it. Um, and the recipes I like to show are the things that I prepare on a daily basis that I make in my own kitchen that are very fast, very good, um, and are made from like general ingredients that like I can get anywhere. So, um, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Chef Ange, A N G E. And I will attest. Go out to eat dinner a lot. He has a lot more guests at his house all the time. His food <laughs> is awesome. It's so good. And it wasn't always that great. Like I might be, a, I might be a decent cook right now, um, but it took me a long time uh, before I could get good, and I had to like burn a lot of stuff. 
I had to make a lot of stuff <laughs> raw and throw it back in the oven. Um, I had to make stuff too salty, too spicy. Um, and people need to be okay making those mistakes the same way they need to be okay, like making mistakes in the gym, but just don't make big mistakes, right? Don't mm -hmm. make mistakes that have like a high consequence. Um, and the same thing goes like with cooking, like go out there, don't be afraid to, to move slowly, make a mess, but you know, do it with the intent to, you know, do a good job and try to do it a little bit better than you did the time before. And, and things will improve over time. And then once people can get like a solid foundation of like, let's call it a dozen things that they can make without looking at a recipe, without thinking about it, and all, you know, make three components of a meal, like some type of carbohydrate, some type of vegetable or two, and some type of protein all in under an hour. If you could have a dozen combinations of that, you can eat for a lifetime. Because most people generally just eat the same shit over and over and over again. They're just not making it themselves. So if they can figure out how to take a few things, make them well, make them fast, and make them on autopilot, I think a lot of people would be, you know, they would lose a lot of weight, they would be a whole lot healthier, and they would just feel a whole lot better. Hey, Angelo, is it safe to say that Chef Ange may have been birthed out of us doing all those UFC chilies back in the day? I think that was definitely part of it. Yeah. So, so Jay, we, or Angelo, you can tell the story. Well, one of the things that we used to do is we always used to get together um, a group of friends that just we were all MMA fans. So like when there was a big UFC event, um, we would have the UFC. And then one thing we started doing was making UFC chili. So, you know, whoever would host the event, they would make a pot of chili and it would just be something easy that we all could eat and we all could enjoy. And uh, I used to host a few events and I used to keep making the chili. And I have a pretty solid chili recipe because I've made it a few few dozen times. Um, and uh, you know, again, I, I don't have to think about that recipe. I can just crank it out without even thinking about it we nice. used to do we used to do themes jay so um like for instance if uh the ufc was in chicago for the first time so we made we made deep dish chili pizza so we got like you know deep dish uh dough and we made chili we threw it all over the top we cut the pizza in the shape of an octagon <laughs> we did they did one in japan and angelo made uh, sushi chili which was awesome so basically, he made sushi like sushi chili. Yeah, so he made sushi rolls, right? He we got all the all the rice out. I'm not gonna and lie, it sounds fucked up. And the seaweed paper, and we rolled cheese inside of it, right? Is that right, yeah. Ange? Yeah. yeah, it was like, like and cheese, cheese and yeah. avocado, and then we made like a, like I made like a spicy Asian chili that like went on top of the sushi. Yeah, so he topped <laughs> the sushi with the chili. It was amazing. It was so yeah, maybe good. maybe we're not describing it too well, but it definitely tasted pretty good from from my recollection. Yeah, That's I think why. I still I have some pictures of that still. I'll send them to you. Put them on the Chef Ange Instagram so people can check it out. Absolutely. Fucking okay, Is that on? Is that recipe on the YouTube channel? No, right now. So so the YouTube should channel be. It, it, yeah, it should be. <laughs> um, I'm just getting it going again. I originally made two videos. Um, one of them is approaching a million views, so it's uh, definitely got a lot, a lot of traction out there on the internet. And uh, I just made a third one, and now I'm going to start just actively producing a little bit more content on that channel. Sweet man, I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, yeah, and again, they're 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 longer videos, but they're longer with the intention of again like showing the skills. I just don't want to tell people what's in food, snap my fingers, and all the prep work's done because like the prep work is the cooking, and I think there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it, or just not even a wrong way. There's a less efficient way to do it, and I want to teach people like the efficient, correct way to do it, and I think that just makes the whole process of cooking easier and actually like makes the food taste better. Like what separates the average, you know, home cook from like the best chef in the world, technique and practice. Mm -hmm. they, they, they know how they know how the components of a dish 
and they also know how to do the, the, the prerequisite skills to get those whole ingredients into, um, you know, into one complete dish. Sweet. Awesome. So tell our listeners where they can find you for, uh, for your cooking, for your training, uh, if you have a website, et cetera. Yeah, so I do have a website. It's currently under construction. We just, um, I'm just fixing it up right now. Um, it was a little outdated, so I wanted to take the information off, but I'm actually getting it redone. should be launched. Um, so you can find my fitness and my nutrition stuff at uh, getactionfit.com. So that's getactionfit.com. And uh, for my YouTube channel, it's uh, Chef Ange, A-N-G-E, and uh, the same name uh, for my Instagram uh, account, which is Chef underscore Ange, A-N-G-E. I love it. Check them out. Don't waste time. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's It's been a pleasure. Sick learning experience, and uh, hopefully you'll come back sometime. Absolutely, guys. This was great. Yeah, we no, got to do, do a live podcast so you can cook us some food. Absolutely. Be dope. We'll, we'll do it over at the crib. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank thanks you, for bro. coming on, Ange. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, you. peace.